Hey, what's up everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Craft Theology. We are here doing theology, and we are drinking craft beverages, because that is what we do here. Um, we're real excited that you're joining us today for what I really presume to be a, a quite riveting conversation about the church, and we're all real excited about it, um, as you can tell by their silence. Um, Woo! They are overjoyed. Uh, hey, real quick, same plug as always, make sure you're following us on Instagram, craft.theology, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to tell us that we're wrong, or you want to give us suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at crafttheologypodcast at gmail.com. So, that's crafttheologypodcast at gmail.com. Well, I am very excited about the beverage that we have today. So, Lucy, uh, she, she brought it in. She got it for us. So, she can explain what we're about to uh, intake of. Yeah, Mike, tell us what about to drink. No, not with that. Why? Oh, uh, Come on, Mike. Ew, it's gross. Uh, so it is uh, Bundaberg, and it's Bundaberg. a ginger beer. Would you like to introduce it? No, I. I don't like you at all. Uh, That's yeah. all right. So it's a ginger beer. It's Australian. Oh, dude, it's Aussie. No. Oi, oi, oi. Stop it. Yeah, that's about it. I'm done. Wow. Cool. Hey. Interrupting me every five seconds. Bundaberg ginger beer. Australian family owned. Yep. Craft brewed over three days. Yep. Well, telling you, three days uh, is a significance in this podcast. Let's see what kind of a pst we can get in the mic. I'm nervous because you had to hold this upside down, and usually when you hold beverages upside down and then you open them. The tab also says pull out, then up. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to give somebody else a, a go first. Ah. Oh, that was Fancy sounding. Xander didn't even do his in the microphone. Wait, oh shoot! It's an up then a pop. Yep. Oh, yeah. That is a. Uh, I got some on the mic. Like, you think you screwed up? Oh, <laughs> we all made a mess. I did it. I did just fine. I and just we don't have any napkins one in here. Splash on the microphone. I did great. At least I, I got I'd... it on myself, and I didn't get it on the studio equipment. And you well, just took a shower, too. The thing is with mine, I thought I didn't I take met... a shower. I just fixed my hair. Nice. Took a shower last night. I was clean. Mm. I took a shower this morning. I love... I don't know. I've Taste kinda, that. I've grown into taking showers in the morning. Oh, yeah. Taste it. Oh, yeah. Are we going, Oh, yeah. Taste it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some Michael W. Smith content right there. It is really good. Good job, What is it? Open the Eyes of My Heart, circa 2001? Mm, Michael yeah. W. Smith? It's got to be. That oh, is, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's real good. Straight into it. This is delicious. I'm nervous for whatever was floating around in it. Yeah, it was just... Those straight pieces of ginger. Yeah, that's all it was. What's crazy is I Helps never... Helps with the fermenting I really process. I never knew I liked ginger beer. Mm-hmm. I love ginger beer. Well, like for the like I was telling you guys before the podcast, like I never knew that ginger so, was something that I would enjoy. I always thought it was like really bitter. It is. If it's made wrong and you eat it raw, it's disgusting. Because yeah. I re- I've always had like hints of ginger ale, 
and I've hated ginger ale. Mm. Oh, I love ginger ale. But wait, what kind of ginger ale? Because some ginger ales don't even have real ginger in it. I don't. It was like the ones that come in the bottle that you can buy, like from, like like Canada a gas Dry station. or like no the Seagram ginger ale. Those are like the two big ones: Seagram's ginger ale well, and Seagram's Canada doesn't Dry. even have real ginger in it. And I don't right. know. I don't know which one it was. I just know it was a bigger name in my because my friend would get them from gas. Like when you go out to a gas station, you get ginger ale, and I tried it, and it was just nasty. Mm. So I always thought for the ginger ale time, is I hated ginger. real good for upset stomachs. Yeah, I've uh, I take ginger pe- peels, ginger pills, um, to help with uh motion sickness, cause oh, MythBusters proved that ginger is better than like oh. Dramamine or anything. Bring them back. So Weird. I just take. Come a gin- on, Jamie. Come on, Adam. Take a ginseng. Didn't pill. he pass away? What? No. No, I don't think so. Someone from MythBusters did. One of the uh, one of the other three, Tori, wow. Grant, or Kelly. Um. Wow. Carrie, I think it was Grant. No, not Grant Amahara. I think so. No, that name sounds and real that, familiar. That might, might be. Been. That might be totally wrong, and maybe that was like the fake news of "Hey, this person died," and then the next day on Twitter, "I'm not dead," but Ooh. I do think one of them did. Yeah, Grant. Okay. He no, he died from a brain aneurysm. Yeah. July fourteenth. Oh, Grant Amahara. He was a. He was. The fact that you remember their names kind of baffles me. Yeah, I never Tori Belici, watched it that much. Grant Amahara like, and Carrie... I th- Carrie Fisher. No. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't even know if it's Carrie, actually. I think it is. Can we get it a, sounds right. Can we get our uh, research check? analytics on that? Stand I by. was a... Because like, I was a huge Mythbusters fan. Like watched it oh, all the it. time. But it's on I, Hulu. I can't remember. That's how I've been watching it. Uh, I usually uh, just put on Hulu. What were the names you said? I did Grant Amahara. Correct. Tori Belici. Or wait. Yes. And uh, I don't know if it's, I think it's Carrie something. Carrie Byron. Byron. Carrie Byron. That's it. Correct. And then there's all these and other people. You got people. Jamie Heideman, Adam Savage. Some like random girl that was like always on to fill in. Jesse Combs. Is, is she like a blonde? Yes. Yeah. She would like fill in randomly and it was weird. She was like. Too punk for me. Sorry. Yeah. Too punk. Well, I think I think Carrie, she was like pregnant a couple Who's times. Christine so she... Chamberlain. Apparently that's also a popular person. I don't know. That name cast. does sound familiar though. Um wow. so ginger beer is actually really easy to make. It's um, ginger and water. You shake it and well, you let it sit. And sugar. Yeah. Um, because you gotta give something for the yeast to eat. To eat. Yeah, you gotta eat that yeast. You just you just get uh <laughs> you get like just like fresh ginger like out of the garden. Like don't wash it, don't do anything to it. That's disgusting. Because that's because that's where the, the, that's where the, the yeast is. and the No, the, that's not what that is. <laughs> the beneficial bacteria and all that stuff is on the it's on the skin mm-hmm. of the ginger. Bacteria. That's where you get that good So meat. You just chop it up, throw it in some water with some sugar, and let it sit. There's actual ratios on that. I watched a YouTube video about it. I usually put it in for about 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Shake it twice. Yeah. <laughs> so then brewing for three days is just overkill. Very much. <laughs> they just do it for looks. It takes three days to bottle. I will say this is really good, though. Um, Probably one of my favorite beverages we've had on the show. You, the thing is, every time you rate a beverage, it is the weirdest thing. Because yeah, at the end of this, he's gonna be like, "I didn't like this." Yeah, I gave it like a three, and it's like, <laughs> "What?" No, this is seriously probably gonna be one of my highest ranking beverages so far. So like a five. That's no. right. 
That's what he does all the time. It's every time. No, it's really good. You hype up a bev- like last time you hyped up that that porter like it was. I don't like that it's cloudy though. Oh, oh no! Here we go. No, it's it's just cloudy. Like that's weird. You look at it and it's cloudy with white specks floating in it. And cloudy I know with, why. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. There's a leak in the boat. I mean, they can't clear it. I know, but it's it's cloudy. It's not opaque. Good it's word. Cloudy. Good word. I like that. Okay. Well, hey, uh after that long segue of Mythbusters and ginger beer, uh we are going to talk about the church. Um, so the church is, uh, we're not going to talk about necessarily church as in, um, you know, what happens on a Sunday morning or like the systematic, uh, systematic was the wrong word, but we're, we're going to talk about kind of our theology of, of church in general. And we kind of have this model that we go by. Um, and we, we just call it the lemonade model, uh, but it doesn't actually have a name, I don't think. Um, so we just call it the lemonade model, and that'll make sense uh, as we explain it. But basically, uh, you have a triangle, and it's an equilateral triangle. And on that triangle, you have orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Um, for the people that have no idea what those mean, um, ortho basically just means right or correct. Um, doxy means teaching, praxy means practice, and pathy means emotion. So, uh, in order for a church to function uh, really seamlessly, I think we could say, it has to have all three of those things in uh, together. Right, and it can't have one outweighing the other. They have to they have to perfectly balance each other in in the you know, the world of church. In order for a church what we believe, in order for a church to be uh as absolutely successful as possible. Uh because if things are unbalanced, then what you have is uh, you know, basically an uneven three legged stool, and as we all know, those tip over. Yeah, they're not fun. Um, so, for example... Really bad for your back. So, for example, if you have, uh, you know, really good orthodoxy and really good orthopraxy, but have no orthopathy, um, you're basically running a cult. And if you have a lot of orthopraxy and orthopathy, but not a lot of orthodoxy, um, you're basically the pastor of a Pentecostal church. Whoa. Um, that was probably a little too harsh. Yeah. Um, but, That's fine. but you really are, you really are, uh, leading a church that is all about, um, the feel good emotion and shallow. The, yeah, it's a very shallow teaching. Um, it's just more of a hey, we want people to come and we want people to be here so that we can put numbers on our Instagram. It's the Christianese money words. Yeah. Um. So the three of us actually kind of embody, I think, 
um, the the individual just make us make us sound a little bit more humble there. The the individual portions of the stool. We are the um, embodiment. We're that good. <laughs> no, we just we we know what we're called to do, and we know what we love doing, and uh, we really are each individually kind of one of those um one of those one of those portions of that triangle. So um I've talked enough. So Xander Lucy, one of you uh kind of explain what your uh I guess what your area of expertise is. I don't know how else to explain this. Um and then area of expertise. Uh yeah, in relation to the triangle and then how how that how that plays out. Cool. Do you want me or do you to go first? I don't know. What's the first step of making lemonade? Mm. Well, yeah, then we'll explain how it all works with lemonade. I feel like you gotta have water. Alright, then start. Fair enough. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. I did. Oh. Uh, Alright, well, I fall under the category of orthopraxy, which is the kind of the more practice applicational side of things. And the reason why that's the such a big thing for me, just the idea of um, having a practical side of church is I'm a big believer that everything we are doing in a church, whether it's on a Sunday morning, worship, Sunday morning, message, whether it's us coming together on a random night for a Bible study or hanging out with small groups, whatever it is, we should constantly be applying what we're learning and to our everyday lives. Like Church is not just a side thing we do and just something that we put in our back corner, but rather church is a thing we go to to learn how to continue making Christianity an everyday part of our life, not just a weekend experience. So for me, church being an orthopraxy, it's very important because if you don't have the practical application, then you're not really making disciples out of the people at the church because if they're not actually applying what they're learning, they're not actually advancing in their discipleship, and that's a problem because that's one of the things that Jesus has, not one, well, one of the things, but it's one of the most important things Jesus calls us to do, and that's found in Matthew 28, and that's the Great Commission, where he says to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we as the church, we have a very important task in our hands, is we are to continue the calling that Jesus has put on us to continuously make disciples of all nations, and it starts with the church when we apply what we're learning but in that same way you can't just applying what you're learning it doesn't just happen with it doesn't just happen like you have to have a good balance of your understanding of emotions and your understanding of teaching because if one of those are lacking then that can really make for a dangerous application because then you could if you don't have either one of those or those are subpar or they're not balanced correctly you could be making disciples that are not actually breathing what Christianity is. Right. They're just breathing what they think it is. And I think a, a, a and great they're emotionally like unstable. Exactly. I think a great time with E-stable, that stable, unstable is unstable. Not unstable. To, not to bash all the the Facebook warriors of Christianity, but to me that's one of the you see a lot of that where you have a lot of emotion and a lot of practice, but there's not a lot of teaching. So what do they do? They say some really questionable things about their theology of God and things that just aren't exactly true. You have to share this post to go to heaven. Yes, like those. Like this. <laughs> Comment amen. <laughs> Only my true believers like, will like and share. Exactly. Like those things. And that's so dangerous. But it, they're applying. They're trying what they're doing. And they have the right emotion behind it. 
but there's the other teaching that's lacking. And when you also have teaching in um, practice as well, what can happen if you don't have enough emotion, you can, I think of it as in those people that, well, we can, this is what comes to mind, but they do have emotion when they do it, but I think of those street preachers. Sometimes their teaching can be a little lacking, but sometimes I've seen both, good and bad. But the problem is is they don't have the right emotion behind it because it's not about actually saving that person or loving that person. It's about, hey, I've learned this and I'm going to apply this, but they're missing that whole aspect of the emotional sense of why do you want to do it. It's more so just because they've learned it, they want to apply it, but there's not that balance of emotion which comes in to make it this thing that's not just a condemning, terrible, you suck. Yeah, message. most of those people I've seen, they have uh, a lot of a lot of praxy. Yeah, but they don't have pathy or doxy. I've seen some. Like I've seen the only reason I have seen they're just a couple, out there screaming. I've seen a couple that actually kind of know what they're talking about. At least they they try. Yeah, and but there's always that oddball where it's just you know they go around and they just. I mean, I was at a Christian festival and there was a girl that was just wearing a tank top and he said go put on this was like a 16 year old girl he said go put on clothes you whore and i was like wow this guy's got a bible in his hand saying go love jesus then he's calling a girl that's at a christian festival a whore i was like oh my gosh that same guy was was uh really putting down anybody that had like color in their hair oh yeah or piercings it Mm -hmm. was Tattoos. Mm. Everybody was a Jezebel. So he'd hate me. God. Everybody was like going yep. to hell. He was the only righteous one there. Yep. Um, which that's the the danger of having too much application. Yeah, because it's a balance. I mean, if you just have a and you think about an lemonade sense, if you have a really watery lemonade, that's just nasty. I mean, that's a very watered down lemonade. You're not going to want to finish. It's just it. water with lemon in it. Pretty much. It's I mean, and lemonade. that's that's not bad. But that's not what you want in a lemonade. Right. And so when you have way too much water in your lemonade, you have an undesirable drink. And when you have too much application in your church, you have a church that's more built upon. It's good to have application, but if that's the only thing your church is pushing for, you're having the potential of having people really misconstrue what Christianity is all about. Yeah, and in in any of these kind of three instances, I think, we could pretty easily sum it up as if if you have one, you know, highly superior to the other, you just have an unappealing church. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in that instance, right? If I was to go to a church to where everybody was, turn or burn, you know, street preacher, hellfire, brimstone, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm walking out. Yeah. Like, I'm walking out mid-sermon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to give the guy a chance. Um, Cool. Anything else on no, Praxy? I, I got mine. Okay, cool. Pretty good with my answer. I felt pretty proud of it. Good. We're going to bring all this together after the three of us kind of explain our hearts behind the thing. So, What's the next ingredient Lucy? in lemonade? Uh, technically, lemons. I think she just wants to go last. I mean, I don't care. I'm just saying. Well, she already mentioned the whole process of lemonade, but I don't know. Does it matter if you put sugar or lemon first? Yeah, I always put lemon and then sugar to taste. See, I think 
Because I think you could do, I don't know. I don't think it really matters. I mean, I've never made homemade lemonade. What? I think you would have to. You have it? No. No. I think Country I've time always, lemonade, four scoops makes a gallon. I think I've always not. done. I think I've always done lemon because I can see how much sugar I need to apply. That's what I'm saying. You sugar to taste. Huh. Always add lemon first. See, I feel like though you would want to heat up the water to dissolve the sugar. No, we're not making sweet tea. Yeah, but then you let that cool and you add the lemon. Even you add the lemon to taste. Even when I make sweet tea, I put sugar in last. I do too. Why? Actually. Y'all are weird. No, you have to brew the tea. No, yeah, I brew the tea, put the tea in. And then um, add sugar. Add my no, sugar, and then I finish it with the no, water. No, we're going to sidetrack. This is how you brew sweet tea. You have to brew the tea sweet. What? Okay. Nope. So, what? Brew tea. So, unsweetened. Water in a pot. Mm-hmm. Bring it to a boil. Okay. Add your two cups of sugar. Nope. Let the sugar dissolve. Water off the heat. Tea bags in. False. You have huh? to let the tea. Brew sweet. Incorrect. That's how you get sweet tea. Incorrect. If you add your sugar in last, then you might as well just hand me a glass of unsweet tea and let me add sugar to it, which we all know is disgusting. No, because it's still hot, but you just I'm brewed con- the tea first. Yeah, I'm no. confused because the tea, when I still make it, I still... Now, granted, I will say, when you first get a batch of uns- or sweet tea when it's hot, it is not exactly the sweetest, but as soon as you put it in the mm, fridge... I let love... It- Warm sweet tea, like fresh brewed. It's not my warm favorite. Over ice. Not my favorite because it's not it how is that works. So good. But every time I don't care about y'all's opinions. All right. Well, Everyone has the right to be wrong. And you're wrong. Nope. Mm. I. This is a two v one. I substitute your reality and substitute my own. I reject your reality and substitute my own. That is an Adam Savage quote right there. Mythbusters. I'm gonna try and find <laughs> how many ways I can put Mythbusters in this episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll go next with orthodoxy then. Um, cool. So, orthodoxy is referred to as the lemons because sometimes it's the uh, it's the bitter part of the church that uh, people shy away from. I think that's why we see so many churches today, especially, um, you know, I hate to just kind of call them out, but really, when you look at a lot of the mega churches today. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachings are pretty shallow. Now, I I know, I believe, I have I have faith that their you know small group times and their Bible study times are a little a little better. But when you just watch their Sunday morning message on YouTube, um, it's a it's a fairly shallow teaching. Um, and, and shallow teachings are good to, to a point, right? Because, um. You know, Paul talks about, uh, I'm going to totally butcher the verse, but the idea is the same. Uh, Talks about how, you know, when you're a baby, you drink milk, basically. Mm -hmm. But as you grow up, you eat adult food. And, uh, you know, he's talking about the teachings of Christ. Yeah. And so there is a place for the shallow teaching of you know, Jesus loves you, um, you know, which could and could not be shallow depending on how it's presented. But, you know, that basic teaching of Jesus loves you, uh, you know, you're forgiven, um, you know, go live a great life, all that stuff. There's places for those. But if all we're doing is giving the people that, then they don't grow in their walk with Christ. Mm hmm. 
if all we do is give them milk, um, they're only going to get so big. Yeah. And then you have to start putting on meat and potatoes. Um, that's the best analogy I can make with teaching and food. Um, nice. You're welcome. Uh, but, but there is, I mean, there is danger to being, you know, too much, uh, doxy because there are a lot of teachings just theological in nature that are difficult to put into words. Yeah. To preach to a, a lay congregation that doesn't have a degree in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying that those people can't understand, but uh, there are going to be quite a few that just don't. Yeah. Um, because they're not going to understand the words. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, if I walked up on stage this Sunday and was just teaching orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy, like, I would have to explain what those words mean. And if you're preaching a sermon to where this in depth, uh, teaching is going on, you're spending more time explaining the words that you're using to kind of encompass this bigger picture than you are helping the people understand the bigger picture. Yeah. And then there are some things that just, you know, in in all honesty, uh, just can't be taught. Yeah. Like, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, eschatological views and mm-hmm. theories that are very difficult to teach within a church um without without a few weeks of hey let's lay some groundwork and then let's build on that groundwork which is doable but if you have a brand new guest that walks in on week 3 or week 4 then th- there's no way they're going to be able to follow yeah. and your church is going to be unattractive to them um so, I mean, also, you know, with with everything that's going on in the world right now with just injustice and, uh, you know, all that stuff, there are ways as Christians that we really can be a voice and make a difference um, in the world with what's going on. But the problem is people are blind to uh to their own flaws and so there's nothing that i could do or you could do that could teach them to be open to those flaws right they're constantly going to be blind to them yeah um because they have to come to that self-revelation themselves so there there is there is a line with orthodoxy to where you know we kind of just need to say our piece uh, and then let the spirit take yeah. care of the rest. But that doesn't mean we can just be all willy nilly and say whatever we want, uh, you know, about Jesus, and then everything's going to come together. Yeah. Right. I heard a pastor one time. Uh, I mean, it's on YouTube. You can go look it up. But I'm not going to say names. Uh, basically, they believe that Jesus was not God at all until the baptism when the holy spirit came upon jesus when the dove came down um like i understand how you get that how you get that teaching 
because he doesn't perform any miracles until after his baptism. Mm. But, you know, we have to take tradition into account of all this and understand, you know, the Nicene creeds and all the Athanasius creeds and all the other creeds and know that the early church belief was Jesus was fully man and fully God all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no separation. One didn't lay down to the other. They were complete in harmony at the same time. And so just all that stuff needs to be taken into consideration, right? His, you know, historical theology, uh, historical criticism, textual theology, textual criticism, you know, all that stuff has to come together for, uh, for the right teaching. And the importance of that is if kind of what Xander was saying, you know, we'll, we'll kind of keep the street preachers, I guess, as the example. If a street preacher had orthodoxy, he wouldn't be out there yelling at people, turn or burn, mm-hmm. right? He would be out there loving people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would understand Jesus's message to the point of my job is to love on this person and pray for this person, not judge this person, condemn this person, yell at this person, and be mad at this person. Um, so there is a lot of importance to the teaching. Um, but again, they have to be supplemented with practice and emotion. Yeah. Because like I said before, um, how you know there's some things that are just difficult to teach because they're difficult to put into words or it's difficult to kind of bring the concept down to a uh Sunday morning message level um and so that's where i think really the orthopathy comes in because as a theologian you know i, I walk into a church and a preacher preaches something and i'm sitting there to myself, and I'm kind of thinking, this is ridiculous, right? Um, but, you know, I, I have grace and I have mercy for that person because I understand the difficulty of what they're trying to get across, mm-hmm. right? And, and so that's where the orthopathy has to come in um, so that we are emotionally stable enough to kind of just have that real moment of okay everything you everything he just said was wrong but I'm not going to go berate him for it mm-hmm. because I understand what he's trying to do mm-hmm. and the ultimate message that everybody else is getting from this is a positive one so I'm not just going to go knock people down just for the sake of knocking people down yeah um but yeah you got to have some lemons sometimes it hurts cuz it's a little sour and you get it in your eye. Um, but How do you drink lemonade? <laughs> no, when you're squeezing, He's shooting it straight into his eye. When you're squeezing the lemons into the into the pitcher, oh, okay. you know that little one ah get you in the eye. Nope, I love that feeling. Never encountered that problem. <laughs> it's like visine. Ew. Isn't that the stuff you squirt in your eye? Yes, but it's not sour. Ah, uh, Lord Almighty. But yeah, doxy's important. So. And another thing I want to say with Doxy, and then we can move on, is teach 
teach the word. Yeah. Just teach the Bible. Um, now, in saying that, do your study on the traditional readings of that text. Because really, if you were to look up the traditional readings of Job, uh, the traditional readings of Job's and how Job's Job and how the early church leaders and uh, you know the the rabbinical teachers understand the reading of Job, and then how Christianity interprets Job today, you would be shocked. Yeah, because they're drastically different. Um, so understand the the traditional readings, understand the the cultural historical context. In the textual context, and understand all that, and then just teach the word, because sometimes, just like the disciples told Jesus, right in John six, this message is tough. We're out of here. Yeah. Um, the message is going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard for four people to get. But if you're just teaching the word, and they have a problem with it, they can go take it up with God. They yeah. don't have to come take it up with you. So, that's where I'm going to end Doxy. Cool. And then we'll bring all this back together after Lucy. Stir it up in a, well, I was about to say a pot, but if you're making lemonade in a pot, that's kind of odd. Okay. Great. Stir it up. Weirdos. Uh, Yeah, so, we had orthopraxy, which is the right lifestyle, and orthodoxy which was right teaching, and then orthopathy is right emotion. And this is where I find myself leaning towards while I do ministry is the emotion of it, the the heart behind it, all of that side of it. So orthopathy, and um, if you hear the words sympathy, empathy, apathy, they all have that path word in it, which is Greek for something about emotion i don't know the exact thing but it is i can look it up you teed that up so well yeah it's i know what it is i think pathos is the word pathos yeah what's it mean um like emo like emotions feelings i don't want the feedback um i can look it up but i just no it's okay i just thought i'll look it up while you're talking why not ah it's a quality that invokes pity that's what pathos means. Yeah. That Your emotions. Yeah. So it's right emotion. And in the church and in ministry, the right emotion behind what you're doing is kind of critical. Um, so if you're very big on the specific lifestyle you have to live and the correct teaching, but you do not care about the people you're teaching to, like, why are you doing it? Like, you have no... Amen. No care for those people. And you truly have to have a heart for the people you're trying to reach. and. I think love is the biggest motivator for ministry. And if you're not loving what you're doing, who you're doing it for, and who you're worshiping through all of it, you have no place in the ministry. Because out of everything we're doing for the ministry, for the church, is love. Seeing someone on the street and just smiling to them and just saying hello is love. It's all about that and the emotions surrounding it and sometimes your emotions can fail you and you think you know something you think you feel it but you don't and I mean that's why it's paired so tightly 
with the right teaching and the right lifestyle because as much as you want to just rely on your emotion, you can't because emotion is the sugar like we've been talking about. If you all you do is you want to feel and you want to feel and you want to feel, all you're doing is addicting yourself to sugar and you're dependent on sugar mm. and it's not good. You have to be able to take a step back from your emotion at times and realize this probably isn't the best lifestyle choice for me and then you need to move. That's where most of your addictions come from is the facts that it makes you feel good momentarily. Alcoholism, drug use, it's a temporary feeling. Mm -hmm. And I mean, every youth pastor who teaches kids about sin is always like, it feels good while you're doing it. And it does. And that's the emotion of it. And while emotion and love is the main force propelling us to move forward in ministry, it also can be one of the most disabling facts. Because if you're too focused on feeling good and feeling an emotion, you're going to miss the point. Because sometimes ministry sucks and you're going to feel hurt and you're going to feel betrayed. But you should never stop loving. Mm. And I mean... There's a lot of emotions in there, but really orthopathy for me boils down to do I love what I do, who I'm serving, and the people I'm ministering to. And if I don't, then I have to reevaluate why I'm doing it. Hmm. I, I want to ask you about the, um, you said ministry sucks sometimes, and it does. Uh, ministry would be a lot easier if people didn't show up um, on Sunday morning. Um, Y'all are kind of shaking your head, but you know I'm I've, right. I've heard multiple uh, people say that. Because people, people complain. But uh, people are are our greatest asset. So yeah. um, we we do love the people. Don't, don't hear me wrong when I say ministry would be easier if nobody showed up. But sometimes ministry does suck. So, um, you know, emotionally, if uh, all you're focused on is the the good and the happy and you're addicted to the sugar how does that affect you uh and your staff that you're potentially leading when in in a in a season let's use a churchy word in a season when ministry is sucking you're gonna build up if you're addicted to sugar and your pastor and all you want to do is feel the emotion and all you want to do you're going to create manufactured moments within your church mm. to where you can feel that and you're going to end up trying to emotionally manipulate your congregation to get the results you're looking for and if the set list that the band is playing doesn't do it you're going to go and quickly whisper to someone to be like hey you have to play this song because that's what's going to do it. And you're manipulating your congregation to try to emotionally sway them so that you can feel the reception that you built up in your head that you deserve. Hmm. And especially during a moment of like stagnant, like just like a plateau in your church when you feel like, why aren't we doing that? You're then, if all you want is the sugar, you're going to then turn it and you run the risk of, blaming others for your inability to feel it because you're now like well my congregation doesn't care enough they don't have enough faith they're not trying basically because you're 
only goal is to get them to emotionally respond the way you crave it. But some people don't worship face on the floor weeping. Some people do. Some people don't. Like some people walk around. Some people sit. Like you can't control how they're responding. And if all you're trying to do is get them to respond one specific way and they're not, you're going to blame them and then slowly blame yourself that you're not a good enough pastor because you're not receiving the results you think you need to. But you can't judge that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of, I, I, I never really thought about it this way until you, you were explaining that. But it, when a pastor or a, a leadership team or, or whatever it is, um, is so focused on the right emotion, they're so addicted to the sugar and they want everything to be hunky dory. Um then yeah, that's a good that's a good southern phrase right huh. there, hunky dory. Uh then really through the manipulation of a worship service and through or or, or whatever that looks like, uh then you are uh, you're not you're not doing right practice. You're not doing right teaching. Mhm. Because your emotion is overpowering those other two. Mm-hmm. Because, because right practice is not uh, something that can be forced. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you read the scripture at all, then you know that people worship different. And your uh, emotion shouldn't be based on how other people are reacting to the message of God. Mm-hmm. Right? I think of the... Uh, the, the prodigal son, you know, that the, the, the older brother was so mad yeah. that this dude's been gone for so long, he blew his inheritance, and he just comes back, and you give him everything he wants. Mm-hmm. Like, he is not in a right place emotionally. And yeah. by doing so, his practice is wrong, and his, his teaching, his understanding of how he should be loving his brother Mm-hmm. is is wrong as well um i i just i never connected the importance of the pathy with the other two mm. um until you just explained that yeah it's very important yeah. that's why i'm here yeah i mean, they're all very important um and i'm not going to say one's more important than the other because i think in any instance um if we if we really overdo kind of one over the other, um, then we're going to really sacrifice yeah. on the other two. Yeah. Um, so where are we at on this ginger beer? I'm halfway. It's that It's that I'm, midway podcast. I'm a talk about the drink portion I'm, of the show. I'm a quarter, a three quarters done. I'm in the last quarter, and it's kind of getting a little starting to... Gingery? Yeah. I'm about That's because th- all the sediment back on the I bottom. I know, that's the problem. Yeah, now I'm about a third it. done. I also have a little headache from it. Hard? Okay. But I think it's because we're recording this in the morning and this is just straight. I don't really drink Sugar? sodas that much. Me neither. And this, this is, is the just first straight. thing we're having today. Yeah. I think that's what's getting at me why I have a little bit of a headache. Yeah. I pre-gamed at home and had a Dr. Pepper. Nice. What a terrible life decision. <laughs> so I was ready for the soda. I had water. This morning. Like a normal human. I had nothing. Okay. Well, I would have had some water at least. I I mean, I'm a. I really like ginger. 
So this is really good. I'm not going to enjoy it once I have to chew on ginger pieces. Like I don't have a headache or I'm not getting tired of it. I like ginger too. Like it's just ginger. It's good. Ginger is good. To me, ginger is very refreshing. I don't know if that makes sense, but has this weird quality to it. Yeah. Now we won't get motion sick all day. Is that really how that thing works? I don't know. That's what, that's what he said. You are welcome. No. Um. There's 41 milligrams of sodium. 40 grams of carbs. How many grams of ginger? Um, Zero. It doesn't well, say. Uh, at all. It doesn't even have a... Where's the ingredients? Like it, uh, Right next to the nutrition okay, facts. It does have ginger root. Right, but it doesn't have a, a number of Ginger of is much. all root. The root part is redundant. Well, it has a ginger root. Yeah, and they added citric acid to it. That's interesting. Yes, for preservatives. Yeah, but I don't know why they just 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 ship it the way it is. Mm. Sell it fast. If it doesn't sell fast enough, make a better product. Well, it's best before November, November of 2020. 7th. So, that's my birthday. Congratulations. Thanks. So, it kind of it does have a short short shelf life compared to other beverages. Or this well, it was um, on the shelf for 2 years. It was shelved warm. So, I mean, it probably could have just been like fermenting itself. Yeah, it definitely would have been. Um, that's how fermentations work. So you looking at the specs? I am. There is a lot. Yep. That's yeah. Why you invert before drinking? I can Even see them to, floating on the bottom. Just to give it a little mix. That's kind of like that. That's a the drink has been good, but this is going to be something to take in consideration. I don't like. My, I I love OJ. But don't give me pulp in my OJ. So you like ginger beer, you just don't want pulp in your ginger beer. I, I think don't think it's pulp. It's the same concept. Yeah, I don't like things floating in my drinks. So yeah. I get that. If you muddle like a raspberry and I see you do that, I'm like, okay, it's a fruit. But that's unknown. I don't substrate. mind things floating in my drink. Well, but I like kombucha and there's always something floating in kombucha. Yeah, but that always looks like frothy and weird. Yeah, but it's delicious. Ugh. Too bad we can't ever have that on the show because y'all don't are like allergic. It. Correct. Definitely not allergic. 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 It's just fermented sweet tea. Allergic. Nope. Allergic. When I worked at Subway, this guy never wanted to cut onions, so he said he was allergic to them. And he got away with that for six years. It's a great move. I do the same thing. I always tell people at the bocce place that I'm allergic to onions, and they're like, they always tell me okay, and they make mine. They never give me onions. Because you said you were allergic. I know. That's how that Just works. Just don't get vegetables. They're disgusting. Oh. Okay, here's the thing. When you go to a hibachi place, vegetables are actually good because you get them dunked in soy sauce and teriyaki sauce and then their little white sauce. That's so or unhealthy. yum yum sauce. But it's vegetables. There's still some healthiness there. Somewhere. <laughs> the best way to eat a vegetable is the most unhealthy way. Mm-mm. That's true. Incorrect. Like okra, deep fry it. Nope. <laughs> it's the best way to eat okra. Incorrect. Uh, broccoli, smother it in cheese. Ew, nope. I've, heard, I've never... Pan skillet. Maybe like a tablespoon of Parmesan. You're so fancy. My favorite way to eat cauliflower, though, is pan fried and you add a small amount of breadcrumbs and Parmesan cheese. I really want to try nah. buffalo cauliflower. Cause I've heard it's really it good. It is very good. It's good. My mother makes it all the time. You take cauliflower, you boil that junk. She's coming for and Thanksgiving. Then you put
put it nice. in a food processor. Cool. And you make like cauliflower mashed potatoes, which is really more like the texture of grits. My mom made cauliflowered rice the other day and made fried rice, and yeah. my dad did not believe it was cauliflower. Yeah, you can't really tell. No, he thought she was butter. lying, like when the you, whole time. When you saute it and you add stuff to it, you can't really tell. No. Um, so, that was kind of a short talk about the beverage, but that's okay. Um, so, how does this... I'm going to lean towards Xander for this answer. Way. Uh, th- this triangle model, the lemonade, Ye. how does this fit within... Um, Acts two. Oh, right. How does this fit within the the start of the church? Well, I mean, that's okay. So, well, one of the things that we see when the fir- church first starts, I mean, before the church starts, there's a very there's a correct emotion that they have together. They spend time praying with one another. They spend time before the church even begins. They're already in prayer and unity with one another. And I think that's a lot of emotionally putting themselves in the right state of mind for the people they're trying to reach. Right. Not only that, they're caring for one another. Yes, and they're caring and loving for people. Right. So we see that right off the start for one another. And then it moves into what does Peter do? He stands up and he teaches. Not just any type of message, but a message that is very compelling to the Jewish audience where they realize that Jesus was the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament and the message that Peter gives is one that is completely rooted with so many examples from the Old Testament literature, from the Psalms, from other other places that prove the person that Jesus was. So it's yeah. a very the teaching that he is giving is very challenging and also very um it's very much like what they need to hear. It's not something right. that's above, like they've already known it, but it's a changing the way they think and it's helping them realize it's allowing that invitation for the Holy Spirit to come into their lives and really wreck them. Yeah. And so you see the teaching and then you also see the application being presented, right? Not only are people coming in and they want to actually get saved and all this stuff, but we see throughout the whole process, we see a discipleship that's happening, right? We see one of my, the best examples when Peter and John, they're going out to the temple and they're actually having that discipleship moment of how are they going to live practically? And they go out and, you know, the classic gold and silver, I have not that Mm -hmm. whole situation. Yeah, And so we see that, but also at the same time, we see this beautiful thing in the church that's happening as we see people living together, loving each other, coming together. And what are they doing? They're living in harmony with the teachings that they have. So they're growing every day in their faith. They're applying what they're learning because they're wanting to live by each other and give everything. They completely give all, like they share all their possessions to give to the people that are needy in their church and the needy around them. So they're applying the teachings that they're learning, and they're also applying the emotional side because they're loving each other and every person they come in contact with. The Acts 2 church is the embodiment of the lemonade model, and it's so flawless, and that's why it's so—that's why that whole model, or just the Acts 2, is so desirable because it's a balanced church. You have the teachings that are constantly pushing them to grow. You have the application that is constantly pushing— them to expand their numbers and constantly expanding them to keep 
trying to learn more. And then you also have the emotional side, which is constantly expanding their horizon of people they love. Like, I mean, without one of those, the church would have never been successful. And that's why it's so desirable. And it is obtainable. It's just, you have to just think about how can you do that in today's setting. Right. I was I just pulled it up so I could get it right, but uh, Acts two forty two, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, mm-hmm. orthodoxy, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread. I'd say orthopraxy, yeah, and then prayer, uh, orthopathy. Mm-hmm. I mean, prayer is getting themselves into the right place, the right mindset, mm-hmm. emotionally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then obviously within fellowship and breaking of bread, I think you also see pathy as well because yeah. they're, they're loving each other mm-hmm. in, in that time of fellowship. Um, and that seems to be kind of the verse that everybody goes to when we talk about what was the Acts 2 church. Mm-hmm. It was those things. They're devoting themselves to the teaching, they're breaking bread together, and they're in a constant state of prayer. Yeah. And those three things are orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy mm-hmm. um so with with that in lieu of that how do nice. we how do we bring Small that but effective how do we bring that into fruition for today i don't think that was the right use of in lieu of in lieu of means instead oh I'm trying to use That's why funerals words. say, in lieu of flowers, donate here. I would have never used a funeral analogy. <laughs> well, that's the only wh- word, time I've ever heard that phrase oh, used. Okay, well, sorry. Everybody understood my point. I did not, because I was like, instead of what? In conjunction. Sure. With what you said. Great. How do you bring that into fruition for today? Does it look, I guess I can rephrase it this way, and then we can, we can discuss it. Uh, does it look the same, or does it look different? I mean, of course it's going to look different, because that the church at that time was going through an enormous amount of persecution. They were having to do everything they could just to find a place to worship. I mean, it's, it's not going to look the exact same, but the principle can, right? Right. And so to me, what does that look like? I mean, I think there we've mentioned this before, just how the church has the ability to embody the Acts 2 church. They have the ability to continue to be the Acts 2 church, but it's all about, I think if the church were to embody all three of these things, then we could see how that church would be. We could see a church that's giving to the community in a proper way. We could see a church that's caring for the people of the congregation in a proper way. We could see a church that has teachings that are developing Christians into not only these people that only know just a little bit, but they're the ones that are actually challenging the standards of Christianity today. We're actually seeing disciples being built at an astonishing rate where they're actually going out and making huge impacts, not just across the world, but in our own backyard today. I mean, that's that is what the church can be and that's very it can happen and there i do believe there are churches that we've probably never even heard of or thought about that have this completely down to a t there are churches that are just amazing they just don't necessarily have 
the hype around them because, you know, when you're doing something extremely well, people are going to gravitate towards you whether you have a social media page or not. And um, so it, it is very applicable and it can happen. It's just not going to be in the exact same setting. And I, and it might be. It could be the same way too. I mean, you could just have everyone going to house churches all the time, but I don't know. It's a very interesting conversation that I think the whole church has been striving after for centuries is how do you continue to build that Acts 2 church. Yeah, and so do you think, this might take us down another conversation in, entirely, but do you think that this uh, this this model of church, just call it that, is is going to see the light of day again um, before the return of Christ? I do. Um, or do you think that it's the fact that, I mean, you already answered the question, so the or is, is, <laughs> is, is now mute, but, um, or do you think that it is, uh, it is the fact that, you know, this model of church is not possible, and that's the reason Christ does come back. No, I think this model of church is extremely possible. Okay. But is it going to be perfected each and every Sunday or each and every day? No. I think there are always going to be times that church struggles. And I, I do understand your question. I do think that it's a both yes to both. Right. Because obviously we will see the... But also how great the church is and can be and how we study it. I mean, when Jesus comes back and we get up into heaven, I mean, that's going to be way better than any church service any human could ever run or any church any human could have. But I do think it is possible, and I do think it can happen. I do think we will see it. I think there are a lot of church leaders that are being built up that are seeing the same thing. They're tired of being in a hype situation where the church is more focused on the look and the image and not actually about the person on the inside. Yeah. And I think we're moving into a time of church and especially with all the injustice that's happening in the world. I mean, I think churches are really growing into this idea of what an Acts 2 church is and that is just to love people, love everyone, do that with, how do you achieve that? You do that by having good teachings that are actually teaching the message of Jesus and who he is. Then you're also having practical application. That's where people are actually going out into the streets and going out into the communities and delivering a message of hope and love and are bringing people to Christ, not just in a terrible way, but an actual way that applies to the community they're in. And then you're also doing that with the correct emotions because you're absolutely loving everyone. It is, and honestly, it's going to happen. And I do think we're advancing quicker and quicker into actually seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, uh, I think the pandemic yeah. has, has pushed it. Oh, for sure. Um, even faster and harder Yeah, than it was moving before because before everybody was just comfortable with mm-hmm. what they were doing. I mean, this whole like 2020 has been pushing the church in a very uncomfortable situation. Right. Which is good because that's what the church was built on is uncomfortable situations. Yeah, I mean, it was built on life or death. I mean, the church, the Americanized church, we don't really understand it, but, you know, the church should always be uncomfortable, should always be, quote-unquote, struggling, should always be challenging the world because, I mean, that's literally, I mean, that's literally what it's been for the entire time, even when Jesus was down in the the start of the church. I mean, 
there's never a moment that Jesus wasn't persecuted. And there really was never a moment in throughout history where the church wasn't persecuted. In America, we got too comfortable with, you know, it, it got, you know, you didn't really have to worry. Right. You got really comfortable. And now all of a sudden, everything is, everything that we've known is pretty much just, it's just, everything's hit the fan. Right. And so now the church is in an uncomfortable situation of, okay, obviously what we were doing wasn't exactly working. And now you have to build from not necessarily the ground up, but you got to really reevaluate. And it's a, it's a cleansing process for the church. Mm, which a is a good way to put that, which is really good and exciting times because even though you might lose, a lot of people might turn away from the church in this moment because they feel like the church isn't doing enough. They're going to come back in whenever they actually see the people that are now stepping up in leadership positions across the church. Yeah. I think this is definitely uh breeding the next generation of church leaders. Oh yeah. Um, to, I think no, like knowingly or not, um, to kind of, you know, really, uh, understand what this, what this lemonade thing is, even if they've never heard of it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, we're just, we're in a time where, you know, everybody wants to love everybody, Mm -hmm. um, which is great. And that's exactly how it should be. And we're in a time to where people are desiring the word of God more than they are desiring a program or a fancy light show yeah. at a church. Um, I mean, we're seeing a rise in your your average churches, which mm-hmm. is 80 to 150 people. Like, like we're seeing a rise in those. Um, and, and those churches, you know, historically stay... 80 to 150 people because it's not your lovey-dovey feel good yeah you know message like there's real there's real teaching like hard teaching going on um so yeah i really think that that through all this uh the next generation of leaders is is being bred to really kind of encompass this this lemonade um so lucy i'm gonna turn to you now and this uh this lemonade model uh what is it what does it look like um in in a church today like and, and when i ask that i i guess i'm more asking uh how how do you get all three um successfully within a church but the church still be appealing to to the masses mm-hmm. i, I, I kind of have my thoughts yeah but i just i wanted to, to to toss the ball uh yeah well i mean kind of why we say lemonade as much as we do is because people can make lemonade differently some people can have a stronger lemonade some people can have a weaker lemonade so there is some give and take within the three, but for a church to have it, um, it comes down to the staff and the leadership team of that church to just be cognizant of the three. I mean, the three of us lucked out in the fact that each of us really pull towards one specific so that we are always keeping all three in mind because that's just what we naturally do. But for churches who might have an entire staff of orthodoxy, they need to cognizantly remember that they need to also 
keep in mind like the emotion and the lifestyle choices that they have to take but then there's also staffs that are mainly pathy and praxy and they have to really dedicate time to learn the right teaching and it's a discipline and it's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing for someone to do because there's times where I have to stop thinking emotionally and try to pull orthodoxy into my mind and it's an adjustment because there's so many times I just want to lean to the emotion and I'm like no stop take a beat and then I can see the teaching of it so it's definitely doable it can work and it can fit your church if you want to lean slightly one way but if you're over like supplementing one side it's not going to work and your staff has to know that and they have to be cognizant and ready to correct and that might be hard for a church to self-reflect and realize that they have been too emphasized on emotion and they need to build more of a solid teaching for their congregation and that could be a hard thing to hear as the pastor of a church but if you want your church to grow and you've seen stagnant congregations you have to take that time and self-reflect about why it's doing that and like this model might help yeah um i don't know if the statistics are still the same but a few years ago it was uh was it 80 percent uh 80 percent of pastors the only time they studied the bible was when they were preparing for their sermon on sunday yeah mm. Um, and so like, we're not trying to be harsh or mean, but, uh, if that's the, you know, if you are a pastor and you're listening to this and that's the only time you're studying scripture, um, you need to, you need to spend some time with the Lord, um, and kind of reflect on, on, on your, your, your time management really. Cause I think that's what it comes down to is pastors are, you know, they, they are extremely busy. Um, our pastor is uh, insanely busy. Oh yeah, and continues to somehow get busier with more stuff that we're doing. Um, so you know you got to really focus on. Okay, I'm gonna spend some time studying this. Um, you know, and studying this and studying that. I know people. They have three books. They have a book in their bathroom. They have a book in their living room, and they have a book by their bed, and they read all three books, you know, simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful time management uh, skill or model or example of just how uh, we as church leaders and pastors can study more than one thing at a time and can kind of constantly be in a in a state of study, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, also with what you were saying, you know, this is just leadership 101, you know, you as a leader, you surround yourself with people that can do things better than you can. Mm -hmm. Like that's what makes you a good leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, if your focus is more on one, then you need to get people around you that can focus on the other two, because sometimes it is very difficult to make that shift internally, like Lucy was talking about. Um, but if you put yourself around people that don't have to make that shift and can just look at you and be like, no, you're doing it wrong and this is why, or you're not thinking about this, or have you considered this, uh, then it does make that 
it it makes decision making i think easier mm-hmm. um and that's kind of the the beauty of kind of the, the three of us you know in leadership together and in the friendship is you know sometimes sometimes i say stuff and then you know lucy's like yeah but you don't care about the people yeah and it's like no i do care about the people I just care about the the teaching of Jesus more more than the people um because that's what they need but yeah it's definitely uh yeah be a good leader surround yourself with others that are better than you are true um last last thing and then what I was going to make a really dumb joke I was like that's why you guys have me <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> Uh, anyway. That's why we have each other. Nope. Wow, that's lame. I'm the best. We are each other's armor bearer. Hmm. Pending. <laughs> Pending approval. Have you already drank all yours? Yep, I'm done. That's why I relitted it. Um, jeez. I'm almost done. I can't finish. You don't like ones. the... Don't okay, like it's actually not... It. I I've already looked at it. And I it's know just that mental thing. Yeah, but like, uh, you probably—it's like it's not even there. You just swallow it. There's there's no like mouthfeel. I, did, I didn't drink the last one because it smelled like soy sauce. Oh yeah, well the last so one was bad. Mental blocks are real. Actually, I think I already drank all the sediment, and you can't. Mm. What mm. a way to sell it, sediment. I know. That's I mean that's what it would be. It's the stuff that's. Settling on the bottom. What I would rate this? That's what I'm debating right now. Oh, I already know my rating. Um. Okay. One last thing before we rate, and then we can wrap it up. I know we we all got to get out of here because we're busy people. Um. This is a open open question to the floor. So what do, what what can we do as church leaders? Um. To put things in place for within our church within the course of a week to uh highlight the the three areas so in other words let me just throw out an example right on uh on sunday morning right let's just say on sunday morning you teach uh, or you you preach a very emotion based sermon. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday you have a Bible study, which is where you get your your teaching, and then on Thursdays you have outreach where you get your practice. I mean, right? Like, so is there? I think everything that a church organization does, no matter if it's on a Sunday mo- morning, Tuesday evening, Wednesday night, whatever. Every single thing they do should embody all three. It needs to be all three all the time. Yeah. So yeah. like a Sunday morning message, if you're going to preach, you need to be able to emotionally get the people to feel. You need to teach them ways that are going to... You need to have a teaching that's going to make them feel a certain way. And then you also need to have the application of, okay, you've learned this, go do it. Yeah. I think if you're going to have a Bible study, your Bible study might be more on the teaching side, but there's still plenty of room to play on emotions and get at the emotional side. And then there's also the same, I mean, if you're learning the Bible and you're not talking about how to apply it, then are you really talking about the Bible? And the same with the outreach. I mean, the outreach, you're applying yourself, like there might be structures where you're having a little bit more, but that it should still be 
relatively balanced. Like in an outreach, you're going to be applying yourself more, but there's still an opportunity to teach and learn. And whether that might be from a biblical example or it might be teaching from just a new level of looking just at, there are multiple ways you can do it. You just have to be creative. And then you're obviously loving people, which is emotion. So I think every church, no matter what, it's not. I don't think it's just having one day requires each quote-unquote ortho. It's rather each church can have multiple things, but all of them need to encompass that. Because if I was a visitor and I walked in on an emotional-driven service, I wouldn't show up to a Bible study. Right. If I was showing up to, it's just, I just think, so, and plus, I mean, that's because then what you could have happen is, you can have congregants that are showing up on a Sunday morning who aren't showing up to a Bible study. What are they doing? You're missing the point. Now all of a sudden you have this congregant who's emotionally unstable that's missing the other supplements that they need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly the answer I was kind of hoping for. Oh. Um, Bravo. Yeah. Boom. Boom shakalaka. Bam, bam. Um. I just want to get a bunch of so yeah. I, I just wanted no. to ask that because you know I feel like it, there may be pastors out there who are like, well, you know, our Sunday morning is very, uh, you know, pathy driven. So yeah. let's put this program, this program, this program in place so that we can supplement the other two. Um, and I mean, as we have talked about, church programs uh, aren't the best thing. Mm-mm. in the world um they tend to they tend to fail more than they succeed yep um so yeah as long as you're creating an environment that is good tasting lemonade at at all times good old craft lemonade um you will have uh craft approved i mean you'd have what i would probably consider the greatest church in oh, america we should have drank lemonade today Mm. I mean, that actually would have been smart. We could have changed the analogy to ginger beer. No. Mm. Ginger water and lemon. No. Or ginger water and sugar. Mm. Instead of lemon water and sugar. No. That doesn't sound as cool. Not as universally known. Be yeah. a ginger beer church. Doesn't sound as good. <laughs> Sounds like Brian Houston would say. Drive a tall glass <laughs> of Morning, church. Be a ginger beer. Uh, cool. Hey, well, uh, this was a fun conversation. Are we not gonna rate? Uh, we are gonna rate. Oh. I was just ending. You, I was just ending the. That's how you normally end the, the whole podcast. Actual, because you always say the same thing. The every, actual every time when you open up. Hey, what up, fam? It's your boy. I do not say it's your <laughs> boy. <laughs> Those words have never crossed my mind. That's how I'd open up the podcast every time. It's your boy. Yeah. No. Um. Anyways, that was a that was a good conversation. Glad we had it. Thanks. Um, I'm the best. You know. I give my Lundeberg. Bundeberg. Is it okay? I couldn't see. It's Bundeberg. I thought it was Lunda. I gave it a six. Oh, that's nice. I was going seven. I was going seven. I was gonna go seven too, but the sediments and the weird cloudiness just it, it was a it was cloudy but it didn't change mouthfeel like if that sediment like if i felt it it would have dropped mouthfeel mouthfeel is a thing <laughs> yeah i give it a six 
That's some Brooklyn. I'm surprised um, Elliot didn't give it like a four. Yeah, his highest rating ever. Yeah, this is gonna Two. be the best, best thing I've ever had. That was good. Four I was, and a half. I was a big fan. If it if if it didn't give me heartburn, I'd be happy. Oof. But well, that's probably the Dr. Pepper. I feel like you're judging that a little bit. Old. You've had two sodas. Yeah, and it's not even noon. <sighs> My Bundaberg is gone. So, um, over the good. course of this podcast, I got 26 emails. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. Well, that's why we're busy. Because we got to go. I got to do other work now. Um, but cool. So we had a six, a seven, and a seven. So what's the average? What's that average to? What's that average to? I don't know. 6.6. Oh, okay. So it had a 6.6 rating. Good job, fam. Uh, anything else we want to say before we sign off? Thank you. Thanks for listening, as always. <laughs> um, remember, follow us on Instagram, craft.theology. And if you, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, ideas for future podcasts, just email us at crafttheologypodcast.com. I would love to read um, their concerns. Or, or send us, send us, slide into our DMs. Nope. Oh, gosh. Um, Not allowed. You can connect to it with us that way. You are allowed. I run the Instagram, so. I was say, that's your DM. You are allowed. Um. Anyways, no final words other than thank you. Stay crafty, San Diego. <laughs> Stay crafty, San Diego. Stay crafty, San Diego.